You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Friday, May the 19th, coming to you as the sun comes up here in Baltimore. Not quite such a spectacular day as it was yesterday, but still very pleasant. And today, checking in with Jane Mangan as my guest today, racing TV and RTE broadcaster. Uh, Jane has been keeping a close eye on matters back home, which will have included uh, the victory yesterday of the Foxes in the Dante Stakes, the feature race of the big meeting at York. It seems as good a place as any to start before we take in a whole host of uh, the world's racing activities during the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. What did you make of the Dante, Jane? And is there a likely Derby winner amongst that little posse of horses that ran in it? It's very possible, Nick, that one of the first four, I would say one of maybe three horses, we'll start with the winner, the Foxes did no wrong. He was perfectly weaved through under O'Shea Murphy. He was behind Passenger before Passenger ran into all of his congestion and traffic problems. But the Foxes, having hit the front, leaned a little bit to his right, came over towards White Birch, and he still, to me, won comfortably. This horse has not ga- ga- garnered the respect, I think, that he deserves. He came in here pretty much un, not underappreciated, but he was six to one. He was second in the Craven. He had obviously wanted to step up and trip. And I think this is a legitimate contender for Epsom. I think Andrew Balding has been placed second in the race twice with absolutely huge priced horses. This horse won't be a huge price. And I think he goes there with a big chance, a big couple of days for his sire Churchill having won the mm. Guineas at uh, Longchamp and uh, now a legitimate, two legitimate derby contenders following on from Spreewell for Jessica Harrington. I will say two things. Passenger was the obvious unlucky one. He just looked for gaps that never came. He dead heated for third. We know he's better than that position and only on his second start, of course, he's got more to come. But White Birch of John Murphy's, this could be the story of the season if this guy could win at Epsom because he fell out of the gates. He forfeited any kind of a competitive position. It was an 11-runner field after King of Steel was withdrawn in the stalls. And um, I thought he came home basically down the, down the wing on his own. It was a hard thing for him to do. I was impressed with him at Leperton. I was more impressed with him yesterday. I think he's definitely worth his chance to go. He's by Ulysses. He should stay. And uh, it sounds like the team are going to go there. So they're the three that I picked out of the race. But I wouldn't take what? away from the winner. Yeah, okay. So that's the that's the first three home in the Dante. You think they're all contenders. I'm going to ask you three questions, one about each. Um, f- first of all, will the Foxes stay the distance of a mile and a half at Epsom? Secondly, is White Birch, by contrast, fast enough for, for the Derby? And thirdly, just how unlucky was Passenger? After all the after all the talk after the race, so so give me give me your answers to those three questions briefly. We say with the with the foxes, he looks like he has the temperament for Epsom and that he does relax. Uh, his mother won over a mile and a half. She's by Darshan. She's produced plenty of evidence for us to go on. Okay, Matterhorn was best at ten furlongs. Tactic. Uh, he went up to a mile six. Um, Periton uh, by Churchill, full sister that Aidan O'Brien trained. She was a mile and a half. She wasn't nearly as high class as this guy, but she was a mile and a half. And Yazzie, another black type performer for John Hammond, was a mile and a half. He will stay. Uh, I don't I don't think his head will sabotage him either. 
sometimes you can get to, to Epsom and the head will sabotage. You're talking about Churchill or um, you're talking about White Birch. Yeah, will, will, I, he, will he have the tactical speed to get a position, I suppose? I think absolutely will. I think when he was uh, slow from the gates and sat last, he was behind the bridle and you're thinking, oh, maybe he doesn't have the pace. I think when that horse is up amongst horses, he'll actually get competitive and he might actually, the worry would be that he would latch on too much down the ellipse. And that, that to me, would be the issue. Not the fact that he won't uh, have the tactical pace to lie up. He just needs to break from the stalls quicker. And um, he's shown at, at what he can do at Lepsen, albeit the form isn't working out fantastic. But I was impressed with what he did yesterday. That's my thoughts on him. And Passenger, look, he looked unlucky. I, I, he was denied a clear run. Uh, he would have been close. I don't know if he'd have won, but he was second start. So you have to think, God, there is much more to come. He's by Ulysses out of a warfront mare. You think he will get the get the trip. Uh, I would just worry about his inexperience. That's personal preference. All right, more from Jane on York in a few moments' time. But here in, in Baltimore, all eyes will be on Mage as he bids to add the second leg of the US Triple Crown. He's the only graduate from the Kentucky Derby to come forward to the Preakness Stakes. But of course, he's the most important one. Who is going to be his most potent threat? Well, it might come in the shape of National Treasure, who's got blinkers on from stall one, John Velasquez aboard. National Treasure is the first runner in a Triple Crown race for trainer Bob Baffert since Medina Spirit was disqualified in the 2021 Kentucky Derby. Baffert has won seven editions of the Preakness Stakes in his career to date. There is nobody in US horse racing that is more talked about uh, than this trainer. And indeed, you could argue in, in global horse racing, particularly over over the last couple of years but he's back he's back on the grounds he is is in Pimlico now as I as I broadcast and and joins me on the line uh, Bob first of all tell me how National Treasure is is training and preparing in the in the build-up to the the Preakness Stakes uh, he's training well he shipped well and uh coming up for this race it looks like he uh, you know he's been doing everything right he's We've always been high on him, but, uh, you know, it's. I, I think he should like the distance. He's always been running at the end of his races, but uh, he's a horse that just, um, you know, he never runs a bad race, but he's just, you know, he's right there close. Oh, you're notwithstanding all the victories you've had in, in, in all other races and two Triple Crowns, the Preakness is a race that has been particularly kind to you, that you've, you've had a particularly good record in. You've won it seven times. What is it about the demands of this race you think that that have been that have been particularly suited to the way you do things? Well, I I I won it with the best horses, and uh, and uh, you know they'd won the Derby, and and so uh, and one of them had lost the Derby, but the uh, two of them had lost the Derby, but they were favorites, heavy favorites in the Derby. Then should have won, they just didn't get the trip, so. I always thought I've I've always wanted with the best horse this year. You know, I'm I'm coming in. I, I would, couldn't say he's the best horse, but he fits right there with him. So he's going to need some luck. I think the Derby winner is going to be tough to beat, and so uh, and that's what the you know the Preakness is all about. People are going to they're here to, to to watch the Derby, the Derby winner because he's he's like the new celebrity horse of horse racing, and that's what makes the Preakness so great. I, I'd be interested to know your opinion on 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 why you think it's. Going on that Triple Crown trail, even even if you haven't won the Derby, has become a little bit unfashionable. If you go back 10 years, there would maybe be six or seven horses who come out of the Derby running the Preakness anyway. Um, you, you were always happy to roll the dice, win, lose or draw. Why do you think that's not the case so much anymore? Well, I think, you know, back in the day, I mean, 
you know, Secretariat, they, uh, there was only like five or six in there. I, I think a lot of people, they feel if they can't win, they don't want to come here. They'll wait for the Belmont. But uh, I, I think, they, you know, a lot of people have a lot of respect for Mage. And that's the reason, you know, if they have a lot of respect for some of the horses, they don't come here. And, and are they right, do you think? Well, I mean, you, you've handled two Triple Crown winners. You've handled an awful lot of classic winners. When you look at Mage, do you think, hmm, yeah, he, he could be another one of those. He could be another, you know, real, real great. Or do you think, no, I, I've got a shot to beat him? Well, I mean, you you don't know until you run him and you'll we'll know at the eighth ball, you know, what, what, how, you know, how he's running and how he can handle the come back in two weeks and uh, I actually just saw him for the first time I saw him last year as a two year old and I passed on because I thought he was a little small on the small side but uh, but he's you know he's a, he's a racehorse and he's good he's a horse to beat and um, it's, it's still going to be a, a fantastic race because people come out here to have fun and see the derby winner that's what it's all about so uh, I respect the horse I think uh, coming off the derby he's got an edge on us he's got a mile and a quarter he's shortening up so fitness level my horse has not run since the San Anita Derby so he doesn't have that recency but you know you're just you're just hoping you know that your horse fits in there and you maybe win it all so uh, that's the way we look at it uh, you, you got the blinkers on again you're in store one um you're in gate one sorry uh, I, I you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to work out how you're going to play this race you're going to go and blast aren't you yeah, he hasn't really, you know, he, he's not a real, doesn't really leave there running, you know, he's he's been not a real great gate horse. He leaves decent, he has to ask him, but, uh, you know, drawing the one hole, you're sort of, for, it forces your hand a little bit, he'll put him in a position where he'll get him running and decide what's well, who's what's happening then, but I leave it up to Johnny, you know, he's a horse that, he can, he's more of a stalker, could be on the lead or could stalk, but uh, there's only seven horses in there so um, when we have a short field like that you, you get in a lot of trouble because everybody's watching everybody Bob this is your first foray into, into Triple Crown since the disqualification of, of Medina Spirit how do you see the sport as a whole now relative to before and more specifically how do you see your your place within it I think the sport. I, I I think the sport is doing well. I mean, every time you look up, there's handle records and everything else, and it's uh, uh, it's like any sport. It has its ups and downs. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a great uh, PR. I uh, know uh, uh, if there's a little backlash, there's nobody to push back, and so uh, that hurts us. But uh, all in all, I think uh, you know you see the horses are bringing more money. I mean, there's a lot of excitement. Uh, and do you do you still feel the same enthusiasm for for the whole task as as you did before Medina Spirit? And and do you do you come here with the same with the same zest for the for the sport as you as you once did? Well, I, I think you're only as good as the kind of horse you bring up here. You know, I think I've I've got some really good horses that didn't make it up here that had some setbacks. I would love to have been here with them. You know, horses like Arabian Night, Cave Rock. Um, but, uh, we, you know, we've got, uh, this horse, National Treasure. I think he's a nice horse and, you know, he's doing well. And Bob, after all the, after all the talk, after all the scrutiny, after, after everything that's been said and done over the last months and, and years, is there any, is there any part of you now that approaches this Preakness feeling that 
you you want to prove a, a, a point to the the sport and the and the wider public i don't think i have a point to prove you know it's like asking tom brady thing how many more touchdowns does he need i i do it because i enjoy it i love the competition i love compete at this level you know all my clients that i have they like to compete at this level and so it's these races are fun bob baffert there as so often adding another intriguing narrative to the preakness stakes which takes place on saturday here in baltimore just wrapping up the rest of the action from um york jane mangan uh, and of course frankie dettori was riding uh, quite a bit for bob baffert during his his period in in california over the over the winter he's his comebacks going going rather well and there he was again on on free wind his his comeback so far since returning from california is victory on chaldean in the in the guineas wins on arrest in the chest of vars on soul sister in the musadora and now free wind in the in the middleton stakes and with the prospect of another group one at the weekend with laurel in the lockage going quite well yeah, he's doing all right, you know, for a guy who's on the way out. Um, it's nice to be riding at the top of your game when you're uh, in your 50s and no better man. Now, he is riding some very good horses. I thought Soul Sister definitely threw her hat into the oak string in the Musidora. How impressive was she? But how impressive was Free Wind? Could he have an arc contender in this filly? Um, she's entered in the arc. She's likely to go to the Hardwick next at Ascot. And having not run for 320 days, remember that Lancashire Oaks at Haydock where she collided with yeah, the rail? She she um, uh, sustained quite the injury there. We haven't seen her in almost a year. And this was a really likable performance on her first start back since then. Now, Frankie did drift to his right with his stick in his left hand and all of his experience, he never changed it. So the stewards just did keep him nice and honest. Two-day ban for Frankie. Uh, he beat Rogue Millennium, who I'm sure Tom Clover will have been very pleased with as well. But I think this is a Group 1 filly who has yet to get her day in the sun. And I'd say that day is coming. Well, you, you'll have heard on yesterday's uh, podcast, Lydia Hislop calling upon the industry to uh, make checks for horses' soundness more rigorous throughout the industry, not just to restrict this to Cheltenham and Aintree and the big festivals, but to really try and, and, and get to the heart of uh, uh, of horse welfare and, and, and uh, horse well-being before they go to the races. Uh, I was I was then contacted by a number of people who said you need to talk to Stevie O'Dwyer, who is the founder of Trojan Track, an equine biomechanical analysis startup. And I am doing as I am bid because Stevie is is with me now. Stevie, what are you what are you guys doing? So basically, what we're doing is we're doing biomechanical analysis on horses without the use of any wearables. So we just plonk a camera and a tripod down, walk the horse by the camera, and our machine learning algorithm will pick up fifty two points on the horse as it moves. So then from that, we could look at velocities, angles, movement patterns, and then judge from that if there's any kind of lameness creeping into their walk. So do you have to have already taken a picture of the horse to understand that horse's own gait first? Yeah, so no two horses really walk the same. So we get a baseline reading of a, a video of the horse walking, and then from that, we compare it to their original baseline. And so then it immediately flags any kind of minor issue to the to the trainer or to the vet or whoever's whoever's looking at the horse. Yeah, so that's the plan. Like we're we're still in very early stages of development now, so the 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 processing time takes a lot longer than a few minutes. But when we have a full commercial product, it should be only a few minutes to to get that report back. All right. And so, how did you come up with this? 
So in my university, I did biomedical engineering and we did a lot of this work on humans. So using the markerless motion tracking on humans. And I always would have been a big fan of horse racing. So I realized, okay, look, this could be very useful in the equine sector because again, a lot of the analysis is done by eye, by vets, by feel. So um, a, a good objective tool would be very handy in the, indus in the industry. And, and what sort of um, reaction response have you had from the industry so far? So everyone seems positive, positive enough if there's use cases. Now, again, with objective data, the horses aren't machines. So if, if you say, okay, he's, he might be 5% imbalanced on his left side, where's the line then that you flag it and say, okay, pull him from training or pull him from the race that generally horses are sore going into some races. So we kind of have to do a lot more analysis now to kind of find that line between okay red amber green flag what what's kind of the number there that that sends the red flag warning okay and so and so what what stimulates whether you get an amber or a green flag or a red flag so there's a lot of kind of factors involved so we'd be looking at this sort of hip movement a lot of the time as well so generally with horses with hind leg uh, lameness their hip movement becomes a lot more pronounced and their stride comes a lot shorter so we'd be looking a lot of that and then also the the angle of the hooves when they're landing and taking off if there's something kind of amiss there that angle starts to change as they start to compensate for any sort of injury and like anything like this yes of course you you want the professionals to be on board and i'm sure they are but you also of course want the veterinary professionals to be on board what, yeah what does the veterinary yes. community make of it so originally when i was talking to the vets they were kind of a bit worried thinking it was gonna kind of come in and take their job but it's 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 not like designed to do that whatsoever it's designed to help them that if a trainer has 40 horses on his or her yard that if we can analyze all the horses before the vet even arrives he might have a list of six horses that have been red red or amber flagged that he could go to straight away so it kind of it makes their life a bit easier it makes the trainer's life a bit easier so it's 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 sort of a um a software for that purpose stevie thanks so much for your time best of luck with it no problem thanks Amelia. Well, there will be many eyes on on Newbury this weekend. There'll be many eyes on on Pimlico this weekend, where where I am. Uh, there will be plenty, rest assured, on Auteuil for what is the the big day of the year. There, the Grand Steeplechase to Paris and the Grand Course Day. I'm really pleased to welcome for the first time to the podcast Adrian Cunhas, who works with Jour de Gallo in France. Uh, Adrian, just explain for. Uh, for our international listenership, just how big a deal um, this weekend is for, for French jump racing? Hello, Nick. Uh, it's a bit like our, our, our Cheltenham Festival. It, it's it's uh, the big final. It's the races every French trainer, French breeder, French owner wants to win. And so that's the very, the very heart of, of the French jump racing these, these two days and before four group ones. So what can we look forward to this year? What what's particularly exciting you? Well, I think it's 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 on, on the French Gold Cup, uh, which is known in French as the Grand Steeplechase de Paris. The race is really really open, and the, the all marvelous champion, Doctor de Ballon, two time winner. I never saw such a fast chaser in my entire life. He's retired because he was he has he was in sound these days. So the race is, is really is really open. And uh, it's really exciting because you have horses from Czech Republic, of course, a lot of French guys, but also uh, um, uh, English guys like Nick Litmonden, uh, which is training in France now. You also have, of course, a couple of Malins. So it's 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 really 
uh, interesting and the favorite, I would say, for for French experts and painters is a horse called Jex. He's trained he's trained in France, but he's wearing English colors from the very well known Lord Darisbury. I'm sure I'm sure many of of the uh, of your audience know Lord Darisbury, and this horse is a is a failed pinocking because. They were they were trying to sell him at the sales probably five or six years ago. They couldn't, and finally, he's have the favorite for the for the French Gold Cup. So he's really have a perfect preparation. Um, he's trained by a very wise man, Mr. Emmanuel Cayeux. For once, he's been he's been lucky enough to have a horse that was not for sale once he has shown quality, because a lot of his good horses are now trained in. Ireland or England, so maybe this time Jex will will bring Emmanuel Cleu the uh, um, victory in this marvelous race, and he's bred by uh, the Cypre family that you know they are very well known for having bred champions like the Fellow and and Al Capone. So, but um, a lot of storytelling about around this horse. Okay, what about the the hurdle race, the Grand Course Day? What, what can we expect there? So uh, honestly. It's going to be very exciting because I think there is one very good French horse, Telem, which is bred by the Australian sprinter Sidestep, which is and uh, not likely to see them over the jumps. But anyway, this one can jump. And there are so many Mullins in this race from Emmett Mullins, Willie Mullins, very good horses like Classical Dream, uh, Asterion Forlange, Juan Couleur, um, Gavin Cromwell sending Florin Porter. Uh, Sophie Leach is sending lucky one. Uh, he, he, uh, Mr. Shark Handlon is sending a week. So I've, I, I think it's going to be probably Irish one to three and maybe one French on the first five. But this one could really be uh, an Irish race. Adrian Cunhas there from Jordan Gallo. Jane Mangan is with me. And it was you, Jane, who said to me, get on to someone from France and uh, get, get them to tell you what's happening this weekend. And, and I, I did as I was bid. Do you think the uh, the the Irish contenders are going to to strike a blow in the big races? Well, if it's not power and quality, it's power power and numbers. We have seven of the four, the fifteen in the French champion hurdle. William Mullins accounting for four. Emmett Mullins being ambitious, bringing over his two stable stars. But let's start with the hurdle. Paul Townend is opted for Classical Dream. Donna Myler. We always we all wondered what Ferranilli would do after winning a Grade One chase when breaking his maiden and his second start over fences at Punchestown. Well, what would Emmett Mullins do? Of course, he'd go back for the French champion hurdle. It was obvious. Uh, Nico de Bonville picks up the spare on Asterian for Lange for Willie. Um, Flooring Porter has had a good season without actually getting into the winner's enclosure. Could he do that in this race for Danny Mullins? Kilcroft runs here. Hueyck and Rachel Blackmore. Again, uh, Jordan Gainsford still out from an injury he picked up at the Punchestown Festival. She comes in after winning on him at Sandown. Um, and that's a, a very competitive field. But uh, I suppose the piece de resistance is the Grand Prix, uh, Grand Steep. At Paris, that's the one that uh, William Mullins would really love to win. Paul Tannen's opted to ride number one, Franco Deport, instead of riding carefully selected the mount of Danny Mullins. Of course, the headline act for me will be Noble Yates after that brilliant run in the Gold Cup, running very well with a very heavy weight in the Entry Grand National year after winning that race. Uh, Rachel Blackmore for the second year in a row has picked up a spare for David Cotan on Gessy Russell. Uh, there's a lot of strength and depth. 18 runners are going to face the starter for that 900,000 euro race. It's not a flat race, it's a jumps race. Can you imagine what that would take over here by the Grand National? 
And uh, it looks like it's all happening in our toy. All happening at York as well on the third and final day of the Dante meeting, the Yorkshire Cup, the feature race today. Yesterday, after a brilliant contribution to the podcast, I asked Lydia Hislop to perform a much more important task, and that was to head to the Flying Frankie and get a, a pint of York's new uh, IPA offering uh, and to review it for us. And never one to shirk a challenge. This is what Lydia has come back with. Okay, so it's the end of a long day. As you know, Nick, this morning I was doing the podcast with you and this afternoon I've been on air for Racing TV and you wouldn't let me, you know, go home and have a lie down. You actually wanted me to carry on working and that hard work involves tasting some of the IPA here at York Racecourse in the new Flying Frankie Thigston Bar, the original craft brewer. There's even a rather dubious picture of Frankie Dottori uh, doing a flying dismount which is essentially the pub sign I could have chosen from Thiexton Ebor IPA Thiexton Best Bitter Thiexton Pale Ale Thiexton Old Peculiar those are the draft beers by the way as I'm sure you would know uh, Nick in the end I decided to go for Thiexton Ebor IPA it is the at the cheapest end at £2.95 for a half and £5.90 for a pint so I'm going to have a, a, a drink of it now. By the way, they get 100 points immediately for serving me in a proper glass. Hear that? Yep. So here we go. Yeah, that's good. I, li- I like that. I think probably the other pale ale might be more up my street, but I don't really know that unless I have another one. In case you were in any doubt as to Lydia's commitment to the cause be in doubt no longer outstanding work uh, and fingers crossed Lydia didn't stay in that bar long enough to um, compromise the chances of her appearing on on racing tv's output this afternoon now you'll have heard plenty during the course of the, the week about york's drive for sustainability it's cutting of its carbon emissions by 51 percent and what it's intending to do through the the next few years um Ruth Dancer is from White Griffin, the company that's been charged with assisting York in achieving those uh, objectives. Uh, and Ruth joins me now, having had extensive experience, not only in the, the equestrian field, but also across all sports and uh, a key player in the sustainability challenge for, for London 2012 as, as well. Ruth, just with all your experience across, across the sporting firmament, how pleased or proud are you of, of what York have, have managed to achieve here? They are an absolute dream client, um, to be honest. They they really put the hard work in five years ago, completely independent of us. And um, this is all them um, slowly working away at, at the kind of less glamorous, slightly more boring elements that are required behind the scenes to really have a big environmental impact. And then when they spoke with me a year ago, they basically said, look, we want to understand where we're at. We want to understand what to do with what we've done and how to keep things going and, and, and what's the best way forward. And um, and I think what's really fantastic about what York have done is they've absolutely shown it's possible. So many clients I work with are, you know, terrified of change, terrified of net zero promises, don't believe that, you know, 50% by 2030 is even remotely possible or achievable. And York have done it. They've done it without any external expertise. They have figured it out for themselves. They've put the hard work in. And in five years, they've they've achieved it, which is genuinely remarkable. I can assure you we ran the numbers 
several times to make sure and did extra due diligence um, because it is remarkable what they've done. I said to William Darby the other day, I mean, horse racing in a, in a sense or equestrian sport is a, is a perfect test case for your your responsibility to, towards the environment and to sustainability because it ties in so many themes that are that are talked about from you know, not just carbon emissions but from you know working with animals and and green space and 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 and, and looking after you know big sites that remain you know quite empty for quite a lot of the year. It sort of it sort of it sort of ties together an awful lot of things that you you must. Do with uh, on a daily basis it it does um and actually that's entirely our motivation as to why we as a business focus so heavily on this area i mean i'd say 60 70 percent of our work is in um all things equine because as you say um ultimately equine is sport of the land you know whether it's people just simply owning horses and having paddocks right the way through to you know the huge landowners of of godolphin and jockey club estates and and all of the race courses, you know, is a considerable acreage there. And biodiversity is just as big a problem um, as climate change. And so we've got a huge opportunity to make a substantial difference. Um, generally, to the environment, also, you know, looking at government targets and that kind of stuff. Um, but we're also a really fossil fuel thirsty sport. You know, we've got lots and lots of horse transportation on the road all of the time. Our buildings all require energy. And water, you know, that's another area, you know, what we call it the silent crisis, but but water availability is a really big concern. Um, and the way in which we use water it, it has increasingly been in the press the last few years with, with the drought last year, increasing um, hose pipe bans. I mean, I think the first one came in in February in this country this year. Um, so, and that's just a few of the areas. So yeah, I completely agree. I mean, horse racing is the perfect place to showcase the way in which environmental sustainability has both negative and and, and the potential for positive impact. Um, and that's what we tried to do with York's sustainability um, strategy. They didn't want to just look at their carbon emissions. They said, look, just tell us everything. Give us the overview. Tell us all the problems in the world. Tell us all the ways in which you know, we are potentially having a negative impact and tell us how we can remedy it. And um, and as I say, they've already been doing so much already, but um, there's lots more that they that they can do and they're embracing that. Ruth, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. All right, well, tomorrow's card at Newbury Racecourse featuring the Alcha Cab Lock-In Stakes uh, will be marshalled by Clark of the Course, Keith Otterson, who's with me now. Keith, it was a, a pretty taxing Greenham meeting for you with, with very wet weather. It's dried out appreciably since. How's the track looking? Uh, yeah, Nick, sort of going back to Greenham, it was, it was quite quite interesting because we're obviously soft uh, in that period. It's been very wet throughout March. We had about 120 mil of rain then and it carried on in, in, into April. And we've run about soft ground, but we only had a couple of mil of rain on that Friday. And it was sort of, you know, there can be a bit of a, an over-exaggeration on the day that it was sort of bottomless or heavy, but it was, wasn't really near heavy. It was, it was just very soft, I would call that. And then if you looked at the times on the Saturday at Greenham, they weren't, they were very soft ground times, but it, they weren't too desperate. But it's been slightly different since then. Um, through the coronation bank holiday weekend, we had two inches of rain. So at the beginning of, 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 of last week, we were sort of heavy ground there with a forecast for a lot of rain carrying on up until Lockings Day. And we thought, well, this will be a great shame if we're in that position. But fortunately, 
the forecast to change in our favour. And as you know, Newbury is a very quick drying track and, and it's gone through that process right up until race day, uh, the first of two days today. And we're good and good to firm in places. There's plenty of moisture in the ground underneath uh, with just the surface drying. So there's still quite a high water table, uh, but with a, with a sound surface on top. So no jar whatsoever. And almost, dare I say it, you know, gorgeous flat racing ground to start on unfortunately we might get a few showers this afternoon but uh they should take those well and even if it's a couple of mil it won't make much difference and we'll go into tomorrow hopefully similar position round about good ground but but really nice flat racing ground and it is of course one of newbury's marquee days uh, on the flat are you are you are you anticipating a big turnout yeah, I think we will. Um, I, I think we will. Sort of the, the weather's the weather's turned a bit. It'll be a nice day tomorrow. Uh, we've got plenty of runners, plenty of interest in the race, and the the, the other the other races have attracted uh, good and strong fields, particularly London Gold Cup. And for us, a, a, a particular interest uh, the London Gold Cup and the Alshakab Lockinge are being taken by Whirlpool. So uh, fingers crossed that we, we keep plenty of runners for those and keep everybody interested all over the world. Well, it is a big day for Newbury Racecourse tomorrow because it's their first ever World Pool Day, which will be financially incredibly significant for them. And it'll be an interesting test of how appealing the Newbury card is to, to global punters into that into that parimutuel pool. Graham Cunningham is with me with significant experience in, in Hong Kong and uh, a real eye on, on how this, this global tote is, is, is working. Graham, this is, a, this is a big deal for Newbury, isn't it? I think it's a very big deal, Dick. Uh, good morning. Um, it's just two races, so um, they're dipping the toe into the whirlpool, but I think they've been keen to be part of this project for ages, and it's a little glimpse of the future in terms of uh, split-site simulcasts because Newbury shares the whirlpool stage with Singapore this weekend. I think there are seven races on Cranji Mile Day at Singapore, and I think plans going forward, I'm not privy to all of them, but plans are to cherry-pick two or three of the best races on high quality cards and combine them with two or three races on other global cards, be it Singapore, be it France, be it Germany, wherever the best races in the world are taking place on that weekend, that's where the whirlpool will select the menu from. So so we sit here wherever we happen to be observing in the world and we think, well, Newbury, Cranji, what what is it that really kind of gets Hong Kong punters going about global racing? What do they need to make them want to have a bet? Yeah, good question. It's depth, depth in terms of quantity and quality. I think really high quality handicaps always play very well. Uh, open betting markets, lots of choice, differences, differences of opinion from Eastern and Western punters. That's what can make for value. But the lockings this weekend is a, a deep race in a different way. Uh, Baid is retired. And with the king absent, the crown is up for grabs and we have a wide open lockage stake. So I think both those Newbury races will play very strongly. And the significant aspect from a slightly parochial UK point of view is the, the graph for turnover. The slice of the whirlpool pie driven from the UK is growing appreciably. The overall turnover is on the rise. But I think the British turnover is increasing by a little more than 50% year on year. And that's because the bets in the whirlpool the Quinella, the Quinella Place, um, the Trio, Tricast, etc. They, they're new and they complement fixed odds betting. And very significant, I've been keeping a pretty beady eye on this. If you like to play the forecast, one and two in correct order, or the Tricast, the Trio, um, 
they are killing the industry dividends. So there's definite value in those pools if people are willing to use a little more imagination. And that's just what these uh, two races at Newbury lend themselves to this weekend. Yeah, so it's a, it's a twofold um, project, isn't it? In, in, in a sense that you, you want to make the, the racing in Britain or in Singapore or wherever it happens to be appealing to a global market, particularly punters in Hong Kong who obviously dominate the whirlpool, but also you're trying to sh- slightly shift culturally the way people wager in in great britain is that is that achievable do you think i think it is and 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 it's it's trying to second guess or look a little beyond the obvious and i'll I'll try and give you a couple of examples tomorrow that i think they fit my eye on something like this if you look at the lock-inch well stars attract turnover and stars attract significant betting business and if you look at modern games tomorrow for example in the lockinge i think is the only group one winner in the field he's got four of them two british cup wins uh french guineas and a runaway wood by mile win and he was super consistent last year but let me ask you this because you have a bdi on the american racing what did you make of his reappearance in the um keeneland group one where he was odds on and time form saying he was set too much to do by william buick and i take a different view i I thought he didn't show his old zip from a long way out but he's going to corner a major chunk of the market and if someone like me is prepared to take a stand against him and combine a few other horses there could be value likewise laurel a very lightly raced gosden filly who could be extremely good but she might just be a group three or group two filly but I'm sure you watched um, um, modern games in the mm. Keeneland uh, Makers Mile race. What did you make of that? Bit of a weird race. I think they were all kind of looking at each other. I was talking to Todd Pletcher about it the other day. His horse came out, who he was a bit disappointed with at the time, came out and absolutely bolted up at Churchill Downs the other day. And he said it was a bit of a mess of a race. And they all they all were sort of watching each other and, and let... Uh, uh, the, the the horse that won go go off and, and, and do his own thing and they, they might have underestimated him a little bit so I'm, I'm happy enough to call that a throw out but by the same token um, I'm not happy enough to say that Modern Games has, has showed himself as good a horse in, in the UK as he has anywhere else he still hasn't won a domestic group one so if there, if there's an angle to be had it's, it, it's, it's surely to say right I want to take him on over a straight mile where he hasn't looked his absolute best um, I'll take your point about Laurel. I'd also say my Prospero, we spoke to William Haggis earlier in the week, is a mile going to be his optimum trip uh, moving forward? And, and, and it's possibly not. So they're, they're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cracking race if you want to have a swing. Yeah, I'm intrigued by my Prospero, even at a mile. I think the presence of Mutasabek, Jadumi, the Wizard of Eye, sets up for a truly run race. Interestingly, I know it's on 10 furlong form, Nick. Time form have my Prospero, I think, seven pounds clear. Mm. Uh, and more of modern games and the rest. And, so and he's I, a fascinating contender. And I can't, I can't, I can't get it out of my head, Graham. I can't get it out of my head that we spoke to Tom Markman on the pod a few a few weeks ago, and he's like, "Yeah, that's the horse I'm looking forward to riding most all year." Really? Mm. Mm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to him. The Bet Victor Gold Cup is a really good race, and and look at the role of honour, Nick. You you know as well as I do, Baybridge, Alkazim, Canet Chase, Time Test. Defoe and Green Moon, a Melbourne Cup winner. Uh, it's hard to think of a, of a handicap in the calendar with a, a richer heritage for, for feats of subsequent winners. All right, that's all tomorrow. It's part of the Whirlpool. Graham, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. All the best. All right, well, everybody apart from me seems to be at Newbury at the moment, including Nick Nugent, who is the director of sales auctioneer for, for Goffs uh, and joins me now. Um, how, how is it at Newbury, Nick? 
Uh, it's a lovely. I've just arrived in Newbury Racecourse. It's a blue skies. It's a warm morning. I'm just here to help. Uh, Nikki Henderson has a charity lunch here every year, and it is in aid of Starlight, which is a tremendous charity for um, children with uh, significant sickness, and it makes a lot of their dreams come true. And I have a lot of uh, personal connections to this, and I'm delighted to be here to do the auction today. Uh, yeah, Starlight's a, a charity that, that, that will will grant uh, either uh, significantly ill or terminally ill children a, a a wish, and and has raised a phenomenal amount of money uh, both at Newbury and uh, you know previously at Kempton with 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 the jump racing. It can get up to a sort of one hundred and fifty, two hundred grand a, 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 a day, can't it? Well, let's hope so. I mean, you know, a certain amount of that responsibility will be on my shoulders, I expect, ahead of the first race. And uh, hopefully the room will be in, in generous form. But certainly the weather's nice and there's every reason for people to be uh, feeling generous. Now, what the reason we're, we're, we're talking today is to, to, to cast an eye ahead to the eve of Royal Ascot and the Goffs London sale, which you're you're really sort of starting to create awareness of, of, of now. What are we now into? A sort of fifth or sixth year? Is it something something like that? I'd say even longer than that, Nick. You know, everything time stood a bit still with the with the lockdowns and the COVID period. So, I mean, we did it for a few years in the Orange Room, Kensington Palace, and then we moved it all of two hundred meters north into Perks Field beside Kensington Palace. Um, and uh, yes, I mean, I th- I think it could even be year ten. I mean, in terms of when we first started it, but it's a it's been a bit of a feature of our of our calendar it's a most unusual sale it happens on the monday evening ahead of royal ascot and literally today will be that you know we are this very week today if nothing trying to start sourcing entries we like to catalog about 20 horses and lots they could be breeding stock or stallion shares or royal ascot racing prospects or international racehorses i think it was about this time last year we started discussing who yamal with andrew balding who um ended up making a million two at the sale and between being entered in the sale he was placed in the derby and he made a million two uh to the bid of gay waterhouse strong australian presence at a sale like that because they're all in town for royal ascot yeah yeah it sort of seems to have taken on lots of dimensions over the over the years you've got a, a an important goffs sponsored race at nace this weekend Yes, I mean, this is part of the Royal Ascot trials at, at Nace. The Lacken Stakes is part of what we sponsor, um, which is good for us to sponsor. And the, and the London sale brings back into it. We have our own partnerships. You know, our main partner, this is a is a, is a digi well stamped company called uh, Private Three Money. We involve with this year, we have Aston Martin, International Yacht Company. Uh, we have Chateau Leyoub. We bring in partners. So it's good that, you know, we are sponsoring racing and other people are partnering us with the London sale. Um, and Nace is, a, you know, this is a this will be the this really weekend is when we really start trying to um find those 20 entries for the sale nick nugent there the senior auctioneer and director of sales for goffs talking about the london sale and also the tremendous starlight charity day at newbury today thanks to nick thanks also to graham cunningham on whirlpool to keith otterson earlier in the program as well who else has been on the show today adrian kunas from jorda gallo making his his debut and earlier in the program, my thanks also to Stevie. Fascinating uh, on on the new technology to detect lameness in in horses, and to Ruth talking about uh, the sustainability project at York, and of course to Bob Baffert at the beginning of the show. Jane Mangan uh, is with me still. Jane, I'm sure we'll have a view on the Lock and Stakes at Newbury on Saturday, the Big Group One. And uh, Jane, it looks a cracker. It is indeed, and I'm very pleased to say that I'll be watching it in person. Um, Modern Games, Laurel, My Prospero. I was interested to hear William Haggis talk about My Prospero because I have a 
been a big fan of his all last year and he's been a slow late bloomer shall we say on ratings he's on par with modern games and they're the two that that they all have to beat laurel is coming in with a lower rating but of course she is very unexposed only four runs second in the sun chariot last year she won on a reappearance she was entitled to do that but uh you know my thoughts on muta sabek he's won a uh, group two last time i don't know if it was a group two in nature it might have been a name jadumi Again, quite a good horse. Really liked what he did at Leopardstown last year in Champions Weekend. He was well-placed. Live inventory, live chinned it, uh, check and challenge and more. But for me, I think it's my Prospero. I think he's the one that could be a real star this season. Modern Games has already been a star and he maintained that position at the top of the table. And have you got a tip for me for today? I do indeed. I'm going to go Stormy Sea in the 225, the Michael Seeley Memorial listed race over seven furlongs. Sir Michael Stout might have been unlucky yesterday with Passenger, but I was really impressed with Stormy Sea in her maiden win at Haydock. She's a sister to Bay Bridge, and she may well put her hat into the classic ring after this weekend. All right, Jane. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Friday, May the 19th. We'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.